It's the Survivor Series. The epitome of tag team competition is the immortal Hulk Hogan and the Earthquake. Tap into respective teams of the Big Boss Man and Dino Bravo. Joining up with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Haku, Tugboat, the Barbarian, the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters. Team Captains, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Join up with Coco Beware and a mystery partner, along with the Anvil, Greg Amber Valentine, Bret Hart, the Honky Talk Man, the Dream Team versus the Million Dollar Team. Team Captains Nikolai Volkov and Sergeant Slaughter. Join up with Tito Santana, Mara Zukov, Bushwhacker Butch, Sato, Bushwhacker Luke and Tanaka, Nipsey Alliance versus the Mercenaries. Snake the Snake Roberts and the model Rick Martell, captain of respective teams of the Superfly, the Warlord, Marty Gennetti, the Mighty Hercules, Shawn Michaels, Paul Roma, the Vipers versus the Visionaries. World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, and Mr. Perfect, lead team members, Texas Tornado, Crash, along with Animal, Axe, Hawk, Smash, it's the Warriors versus the Perfect Team. It's the Survivor Series! Hello again and welcome everybody to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, it has been a while as we continue to slowly grind our way through 2020. How can a year go by so fast and yet also feel slow at the same time? This is very strange, and it's been a while. Getting to record with you has been a challenge, so I apologize. But I'm glad you could join me today as we celebrate the career of The Undertaker, which is it over? Well, we'll discuss in just a second. But how have you been, my friend? Uh, very busy, just very on the go, nonstop, unfortunately. And so, just you know, enjoying this time, this downtime today to discuss the Undertaker with you, and just enjoy the thirty plus years of Mark Calloway. We're recording this on November twenty fourth, twenty twenty. So happy Thanksgiving! By the time you hear this, it'll probably have been Thanksgiving already, or happy Black Friday. I don't know when I'm going to get this out, but uh, yeah, so enjoy your Thanksgiving. Please be safe in whatever you do. Watch out for giant eggs that may hatch and uh, dead zombie men. As you mentioned, yes, the 30-year career in the WWF, uh, plus a few as Mean Mark and uh, probably a couple other uh, gimmicks that he did before he landed in the WWF uh, back uh, 30 years to the day that he apparently retired. November 22nd, 1990 is when The Undertaker arrived, walked his way through the next three decades with us, and retired. Apparently, uh, we'll see, <laughs> because we've we've seen it before, uh, but it, this past Sunday at Survivor Series 2020, uh, uh, 30 years to the day. It is really crazy that that's how it lined up. Uh, to the day, November 22nd, he said his final farewell is how it was branded at Survivor Series 2020. So before we get into what happened at Survivor Series 2020 and his little uh, little segment, I, I say it's a little segment. It was like a 30-minute segment uh, at the end of the show. But your thoughts on just the overall career of The Undertaker? The greatest 
character to have ever been in professional wrestling. A character that was done back when you had giant iguanas and snakes and red roosters and all of this. A character that once the timeline had elapsed on characters as a whole was still one that withstood the test of time. The character could transform, could roll with the times, but still be that one constant of back in the day, back in the old days, been there from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows when they were getting their ass handed to them, even during the Monday Night Wars. He was a constant. Uh, It was discussed uh, that he was even talked to about leaving to jump ship during the Monday Night Wars and refused to do so. No amount of money was going to change his loyalty, which that alone shocked me when I found that out. So uh, just a solid constant of WWE slash F and I don't think there will ever be another character there will never be another wrestling legacy there will never be another career like The Undertaker yeah I agree that The Undertaker character is probably one of the WWF slash E's finest creations I do think they sort of I think they sort of stumbled into it because He came along at a time when, as we'll see at Survivor Series 1990, there were a lot of characters. So it wasn't like he was in a 2020 equivalent. Like, it's not like he's the fiend Bray Wyatt, where he is coming into a pool of relatively light characters. You know, it's not the Miz isn't really that far off from an, you know, a version of Mike Mizanin. Randy Orton is just Randy Orton. There's not a lot of characters involved. These aren't cartoon characters. And, you know, in the mid-90s, they've got really sour on that with, like, ECW and WCW getting away from that. And then that kind of, that steered the WWF and at the time away from it as well. And a lot of people applaud that. Oh, it's now a more sophisticated product. It's whatever. But at the same time, it kind of takes some of the fun out of it when you move away from those cartoon characters, superheroes, because when we watch like this 1990s survivor series, you recognize guys, even in the mid card, because they have character, they have a look to them. They have something about them. Even if they're from the jobbers, even a jobber, like the Brooklyn brawler. uh, I mean, that's somebody that people knew as opposed to any jobber in WCW, because you know, the gambler isn't exactly a great, a great memorable character. So, but WWF was really good for a really long time at either buying people from other territories that had good characters or packaging their own and putting them out there. And yeah, they didn't all become top guys, but at the time, the top was Hulk Hogan and you're not getting to the top. And so that's kind of what broke it all apart. I think that's, I mean, that there's a lot of things that happened with the WWF WWE that took away characters, but that's why, yeah, there won't be another 
run like the Undertakers as far as because they don't do characters anymore. And when they do, they get bored with them and they give them up. Undertaker got kind of lucky, I think, because Vince went to that steroid trial and was, you know, hands off the business for a little while where I think that he might have tinkered around with the Undertaker character. The Undertaker benefited from the departure of people like Hogan and Warrior and Macho Man and all those WCW defectors. He also benefited from a world that had no social media and and you had longer attention spans. And because I think that's why they bail on characters now. That's why The Fiend Bray Wyatt won't be a thing, just like The Demon King Finn Balor isn't a thing anymore. And why is that? Because they get they think, oh, you you've lost interest in this because people aren't talking about it as much on YouTube or your views are down. Your views are down. So we're just going to bail or you get injured. Oh, if you get injured, we're really bailing on this. Like they just don't stick with it anymore. I don't know why, because I don't think everybody obviously everybody doesn't need to be a cartoon character. Not everybody can be supernatural. Not everybody can be magical or so outlandish that you suspend reality and get into the match. Not everyone can be that, but you can do that for more than one person on the roster. You can because your fans are willing to suspend disbelief. Remember, we're watching professional wrestling. We are watching outcomes that are determined. So we're watching stage. We're watching a stage show. We're watching theatrics. So we're already suspending our disbelief for that. So we can do it for characters. So I think that's the Undertaker's. Yeah, the biggest his biggest legacy will be this character, which they they kind of stumbled into it because They had Mark Calloway, who had had his bridge burnt with WCW. And Mark Calloway, the performer that committed to this character, because had you put this character on somebody else or somebody, good example, like the Ultimate Warrior, somebody that just wants money, just wants copious and copious amounts of money, which isn't, you know, I'm not going to knock any pro wrestler from wanting a bunch of money or be difficult to work with because Mark Calloway does what the boss asks him to do. He's for the business. He doesn't put himself over the company. He's a company man. He's loyal to a T and loyal possibly. Yeah. As you mentioned to a fault because he didn't take the WCW money, but in the end he ended up making a lot more money and stayed in business himself a lot longer than WCW but they gave that character to somebody like that as opposed to all those people that defected for WCW so they kind of stumbled into it and then they also in the attitude era he was such an established star at that time that even though you had all these other reality based things, people were going to suspend their disbelief. And, and oh, of course, yes, Undertaker has a brother that he burned alive in a house. Of course he does. He needs an Inferno match. He needs a Hell in a Cell match. All the gimmick matches they were able to get out of him. Brightest storyline ever in wrestling, by the way, as well. The longest running greatest storyline. I'm not going to say it's the greatest storyline. I think it's one of the best built. I don't think it really paid off for me as much as I would have liked it to. I mean, ultimately, ultimately everything in sports that I've ever witnessed doesn't exactly pay off the way I want it to be. Like even Undertaker's career, I love the Undertaker, but his career didn't have it didn't peak and then stop at the right moment. And that's kind of how I feel about 
the Kane storyline is I feel like it should it should have kind of the feud was start their their first match was at WrestleMania and that should have actually to me been the culmination of the feud but timing and everything and just I I don't know um but it was a good a good build a slow build um with Paul Bear getting his face burnt off by the Undertaker and the breakup of him and the Undertaker which had started with him taking on mankind as his uh, guy and leaving Undertaker behind like that breakup, like all the moving pieces that set that up. Yeah. That those were executed very well. The hell in a cell debut of Kane. Yeah. I think there was, there's a lot of good to it. It would be probably, that would probably make my top 10 lists of like memorable storylines. Definitely. But I mean, if you consider the NWO, a storyline, the NWO is probably the greatest. It has the most influence of any storyline that I've seen any invasion angle that they've done after that, like whether it be the Nexus or the shield or anybody else, it's all, I compare it all to the NWO. So I kind of rank the NWO probably as, and I mean, the NWO is what set the wrestling boom period off in that, in the the late nineties. Cause that happened before Austin and McMahon. So I would probably take the NWO over that, but even in reality based where people want adult characters, they don't want the huckster and the nacho man. Okay, Vince, but they like a zombie. So even, even in the reality of the attitude era, he was able to continue and, and people said, of course he can shoot lightning from his fingers. <laughs> and because he's the undertaker, dude, I mean, that's, that's the reason um, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the American badass and stuff that to me, that portion of his career in the early 2000s, big evil American badass, whatever you want, biker taker is is really what I would call him. I think that actually helped him become a better wrestler because he was able to wrestle better matches because he didn't have this thing, this this preconceived notion in his, in his mind of being at the Survivor Series in 1990 and they say wrestle like a zombie uh, because he was able to finally open up. Yeah, and, be himself and yeah, put on the MMA gloves and do a little MMA stuff and do uh, the last ride and then and do bigger spots and move around a little faster. So I think if it wasn't for the biker era of Taker, which, like I said, I'm not too high on. I know that he thinks it's the best shit he ever did. Crazy that he became a better wrestler. Ten years into his WWF career, he actually became a better wrestler. So I'll credit Biker Taker with extending his career, but also making him a better wrestler. But the real thing that extended his career was obviously taking a lot of time off towards the back ten years of his career. If you divided it up into decades the third decade of his career is going to be mostly remembered for how much off time he got that kept him afloat because he couldn't keep up like he it wouldn't we wouldn't have made it to undertaker 30 if he didn't do that but at the same time that's always going to be one of those things to me that i have to kind of remember and that okay this guy yeah he had a 30-year career but a few of those years he only wrestled one match a year it, sometimes it would be a really great match and then sometimes it wouldn't be. A Terry Funk 30-year career is going to be way different than if you take 30 years of Terry Funk's career and look at look at it against 
Undertaker's career. Now, obviously, the business is a lot different between the two, but like what what state the business was in. But it's sort of like how Jordan retired from the Bulls. But oh, yeah, remember, everybody he came back and played for the Wizards two two years. That's what I want to keep in mind here. Just when we as we go forward and get, you know, a documentary about what happened at 2020 Survivor Series and the Hall of Fame speech and all this Undertaker pageantry. I just I just want to remind everybody that a lot of those years were not bell to bell 250 days on the road years. So just something to remember. It's not I'm not trying to tarnish The Undertaker. I'm just I just want to throw a little water on the the on all the the goat talk and all the all the this is the greatest career ever and all this stuff because a, a few of those years were really light. You know, I and it's still impressive what he did, but some of those years he didn't do much. He did one match, and if it if it's a year like WrestleMania 25, well he was doing a few matches before that, so that wasn't a one match year. But WrestleMania 30, when the streak ended, that was his one match in a year, and he went out there and look. I know he got concussed and all, but even before he got concussed, that match was not looking good. Just keep that in mind. Just uh, to, for all the good, there was also some bad. I have a lot of respect for the fact that he he did put himself through a lot of pain to keep going for entertainment purposes to the point of taking injections to get through a match or the point of being able to uh, that one match a year, he did everything he could to stay to get in the best shape he could for that one match. And he gave every bit he had. He did everything that he could. Like you said, there there are downs. There's there's a lot of ups, but yeah, there is a lot of downs. But uh, as for the character alone, it is without a doubt the greatest character of all time. And no one could have pulled that character off any better than Mark Calloway. Adding Percy Pringle to the mix of that made it more credible because of the fact that here it is. This guy is an actual mortician in real life. Like, damn, this guy for kids, it's like this guy actually might really be dead. You know, you start buying into it. It was just a really cool character. But then you move into the badass stuff and uh, the American badass, the whole, you know, riding the, the motorcycle stuff. And when he showed back up and I think it was like 2000, riding the motorcycle down when he made his return, um, he still had that dead man look, just zombie on a motorcycle type deal. Did that for quite a while, took his time off and then showed back up at, you know, WrestleMania 20 with the dead man character. You had the Ministry of Darkness. You had the culmination of, like you said, him and Paul Bear uh, breaking away. You had the long rivalry with him and Kane and the storyline of it being his brother. And his storylines, like I said, with him and his WrestleMania streaks, with, you know, all of that coming full circle around it was a very unique thing that it's a career spanning 30 plus years that you will never, ever see again. You and me, we went to multiple WrestleManias. We saw The Undertaker at WrestleMania live, especially when the streak was still the streak before he lost. 
then we were there for the most iconic moment that shook wrestling, shook the entire world when the streak was over. You know, how many people can honestly say 30 years from now when you're talking about The Undertaker, I was there when I saw the streak ended. I was there when I saw, you know, I saw The Undertaker when he was, you know, 20, 20 and 0 or whatever. I think he was 21 by then. Yeah, 2021, you know, when we saw him at WrestleMania, you know, we saw The Undertaker at his undefeated point. And then we saw him get defeated and the earth ground shaking. Oh my God. That's a piece of history, a piece of childhood that just shattered. Yeah, it's really sad. And when you put it like that, it makes me sad. And you realize, too, that we, out of all those uh, WrestleManias, we went to the only two that he lost at. Right. I mean, that's some kind of luck, isn't it? That we went to three WrestleManias and only <laughs> and two of them contain his only two losses. And uh, yeah, but the one at 30 definitely hurt a lot more because I think we all expected him to lose at 33. But it hurt just because I remember the air being let out of that arena. And I wasn't really... And I mean, I took a bathroom break during that match because, like I said, I thought that match kind of stunk. But still, the impact, because I had no expectation that he was going to lose either. So, and I think that's how a lot of people in that arena felt because during the match, the match didn't have a lot of heat to it. Like, there were people were just small talk and just, okay, this match is on and Undertaker hasn't lost in 21 years. He's not going to start tonight. So, um, nothing to really worry about here. He's going to kick out. I mean, he's of course he's going to kick out, <laughs> and then he did he didn't, and uh, and and I, I will not lie to you. I was how old was I then? Twenty seven. Yeah, I, I remember you walked away. You like walked towards the bathrooms. I walked away. I went down into around the concession stand in the bathroom. I found a little corner, and I uh, I cried a couple of tears. I'm well. I'm man enough to tell you that because it was literally. That upsetting that I just saw a piece of my childhood die with that three count. I'm man enough to admit it. Straight up. It was that big. I mean, think about it. It made national news. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it made like, yeah, CNN and stuff. Japan and China, it was on their front page newspaper. It's kind of like I read an article um, Monday morning and it said about The Undertaker and it said, uh, it was a sports article and it said a lot of people may think professional wrestling's fake, yada, yada, whatever, and said, you can believe what you want to believe. You can, you know, shit on or praise what you want to shit on or praise when it comes to the the character, when it comes to the the man. or what, I think I actually read this in Sports Illustrated. Uh, but it came out and it, it said, you know, how many times, you know, you didn't see Michael Jordan slamming a basketball for 30 years in a row. You didn't see Babe Ruth playing baseball and hitting home runs for 30 years. It's a piece of sports history that will never be duplicated, whether it's professional wrestling, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, whether it's, you know, baseball, whatever. 
And I think that reading that article, and I'll have to look back see if I can try to find it. Damn, dude, that's it's the truth. Did he do one match a year? Yeah, he's still lacing up and going out there and doing it, even if it is one match a year. Well, and it was it was a prominently featured match. It was usually the WrestleMania match. Yeah, to have to have a thirty year career in wrestling where you're at not necessarily the top of the industry, but you're in the top group because like i've said before about undertaker on here he's never been the number one draw in the company for a sustained period of time there's always been somebody above him whether that be you know naturally occurring like when he came in hogan was on top um and then he saw somebody like a kevin nash get pushed to the top and then he saw Shawn michaels uh basically work his way to the top and then Steve Austin take over, and then the next person. So it was always Undertaker in a supporting role. And to go back to the Jordan analogy again, he's almost like the WWF Scottie Pippen, because if you said to someone on the street, like, name the great, I don't think he's going to be a, some people would say the Undertaker, but he's your right-hand man. He is always the go-to. When, when business is down and you need to put the belt on somebody, you're going to call the undertaker when you he's, he's grant Hill and, and making it, you know, he's going to be adding those assists higher up than anybody else on the court that at that period, he's a James worthy to magic Johnson. If nobody in that company could carry the ball at that moment, put the title on him. He can carry us through till the next time in which we can find that that right person or we can this or that or, or even what. if you have a champion you don't want to drop it on then you can have the undertaker in some insane gimmick match you can have the undertaker fight the undertaker <laughs> you can well, do crazy shit like that because cell, inferno <laughs> very alive casket matches i mean the whole you know Boiler room brawls, you know, just some weird ass gimmick style matches that worked and they worked so damn well, too. We've given WCW a lot of credit because they would always roll the dice on crazy gimmick matches. The only time the WWF would roll the dice on crazy gimmick matches always seemed to involve The Undertaker. That's something they, they don't do. Just like I said, they don't take a chance on characters anymore. They could tinker with him. They could put him in crazy matches. They... They just had so much creativity with him. So it's it's really sad to just think that that's gone away. Like that that'll never be replicated because I think you you need some something to explore like the possibilities of pro wrestling and where it can go and where it can take you and not having somebody like that. And that's not to say that they can't they can't it can't happen again because it, it probably will not having him around is it's just kind of sad because you look around the rest of that roster and you don't really i mean and and it's not like undertaker was really doing anything crazy the last few years of his career but like it's all those memories tied up with that guy it's uh throwing mick foley through a hell in a cell and uh setting kane's leg on fire and in the inferno match and doing all this other crazy shit like coming down to the ring in a bat suit uh you know all this uh, raising to the heavens after he gets put in a casket uh crucifying stone cold steve austin uh trying to embalm stone cold steve austin yeah 
a casket with him on fire inside of it, that kind of shit. Yeah, his hand coming out of a grave, uh, signaling that he's even though he's been buried alive, he's not gone. Just crazy shit like that that they don't do anymore. That if you came to them with these kind of ideas now, they'd be like, "Are you fucking insane? What have you been drinking all day? Are you, are you high? What are you coming at me with?" But for whatever reason, with Mark Calloway and this character, they just said, "Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> we'll do that." Oh, a buried alive match. Call the backhoe. <laughs> Get it he in can, there. Pull this off. To get to the main event world title, you had to go through the Undertaker, and that was that way in the '90s. I think that is a great, a great aspect. You well, know, and it's it, also a really big challenge for some of these. It might have even hurt someone like a Diesel because Undertaker was so over, you couldn't turn him heel and get people to boo him. You couldn't do anything for people to boo this guy. He's already a dead zombie man. He is uh, he's horror movies, you know, he can't he can't do much more diabolical things than uh, I don't know. He was putting people in body bags and dragging them out of the ring like people love this guy, though. They love this guy. And so when you're trying to get a new babyface champion over and even though if you've got Undertaker playing the heel or whatever, people are still going to cheer for Undertaker. So it's also it's a it's an even greater challenge for your top talent because now like your alliance is is divided you're uh, even in like highway to hell austin and undertaker it was it's a challenge for the audience because it's like okay well we love stone cold steve austin he's our man and we're gonna cheer for him but even if he loses it's not that big of a deal because he's losing to the undertaker and i've knocked them a lot for you know they never do face versus face matches but anytime Undertaker was involved, it was sort of a de facto face versus face matchup, unless it was somebody like Sid, where it, it was a heel that the, the no one was going to cheer for Sid over Undertaker. Or even if even if they're both bad guys, you know, it's there's nothing there's nothing that's going to get you to boo the Undertaker. So he would have had to do some real bad shit. And I don't know what more he could have done. I mean, he almost killed Mick Foley and people went crazy. So <laughs> People loved him. those two guys. I mean, Mick Foley became a legend for taking that shit. But it's also, yeah, uh, the Undertaker just nearly killed this man, and we're not going to stop loving the Undertaker. So he he's he's the gatekeeper. He's the standard bearer, and he you're going to have to work with him if you're the champion or if you have any aspirations of being the champion. You're going to have to work with him, and then he can make or break your career because he can go backstage and say. That Patrick Young, he's a shitty wrestler. Vince, don't don't do that again. That's a scary thing too. Like that's that's one aspect of the Undertaker that I'm not a, a huge fan of is that he was. I'm not gonna say he was a big locker room bully. Like he's not like JBL where he's a jerk, but he is a guy that's like sort of into Law and Order and wrestling court and all that kind of stuff and that the the locker room like hierarchy and order and sometimes that's helpful when you get a jerk when you get like a Shawn michaels uh running around back there being a an asshole that's good when you have an undertaker around there but for younger people or people that are new to the company it's he can come off as a dick i imagine the undertaker so that's something about the undertaker that i'm i'm not high on but also he he sort of earned his place in the in the back and he earned the ear of Vince McMahon so what can i really say about that but he he had the boys back you know it was discussed as 
in the Montreal screwjob incident, Brett or you know, Brett comes to the back, Sean comes to the back. The first person that said, Fuck this, I want some answers was the Undertaker. And the respect that the Undertaker has, the f- the fact that Vince answered to him, the boss said, Hey, here was the situation, here's my my situation, here's my problem. Move forward, WrestleMania 14. I did not find this out till I watched his sit down with Austin. I did not realize there was an actual situation in which, hey, Sean might not want to to pass on the title here. And what did they do? Taker sitting there in the grill position with his fist taped up, and he was going to go out there and make Sean do the right thing and pass the title over to Austin if he didn't want to do business. So it's something that he was the guy that was always there, that if you had a problem, you went to him. If there was a situation, you went to him. If he thought that there was a problem, he came to you and he worked it out. He he is the standard bearer. That that is no lie. Any other thoughts about the Undertaker before we just uh, will briefly recap uh, Survivor Series 2020 and what he did? I can genuinely say that I was lucky enough to have been a wrestling fan and to have witnessed seeing him live on multiple occasions and to have lived his character live because our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids, that's something that's going to withstand the test of time that they're just, if they're wrestling fans, they're going to be looking up stuff. The undertaker is going to be a well found character. And, uh, 60 years from now, you know, hopefully, one day if I have kids, you know, they're going to have kids and I can be that grandparent sitting there in the rocking chair watching wrestling and my grandkids be like, hey, I found this online or I found this, you know, who is this guy? And I'm able to sit there and pull it up and show them and tell them what it was like at that time period of seeing that character and it's a it's a feeling. It's a feeling unlike any other. WrestleMania 27 at the Georgia Dome, when The Undertaker was coming out, was the first WrestleMania we had done. It came out to Johnny Cash. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a feeling that I have never felt in my entire life that I will never probably ever feel again because... He's undefeated at that point in time. It's his WrestleMania. I mean, it's it was his. You know, that was the streak. That was his. That defined him. And that was a goosebumps feeling unlike any other. Seriously, unlike any other. It was a remarkable, unbelievable feeling that you probably would never if you were lucky enough to have felt it in person you were lucky you know um, Pat Patterson used to love to sneak down you know into the fans or or whatever for certain feelings and I 
as a kid, you know, watching these, you know, round, you know, the legends round tables and stuff like that. And him talking about doing it or him talking about, you know, wanting to be out there when Hogan won the title or be out there at WrestleMania six, when Hogan lost to warrior and stuff like that. I never really got that. You know, it's like, Oh, he, this, this old timer said that, whatever. But when you're out there in the audience and that gong hits and it's WrestleMania, that's a feeling that you can never duplicate. Uh, going into WrestleMania 30, he was undefeated. And he that gong hits, and it's, God, it's a feeling that you just never, I, I can still feel that moment when I think about it. It's a, it's a goosebumps feeling that you're like, Jesus, this fucker, it, he owns this event he owns this match because this you know this is his and i think they lost that uh when he lost number one and number two uh i think they lost it with the fact of him finally retiring because you will never have another person give the audience that kind of a feeling it's a genuine feeling I know there's people out there saying I'm full of shit, but I'm telling you, it's a genuine feeling whether you love professional wrestling, whether you don't like professional wrestling, whether you got drugged there with, you know, your boyfriend or you got drugged there with your husband or you got drugged there with your kids and you just had to tag along. There are even some of those that have said, when that gong hit and the lights went out and it's WrestleMania, it was a very unique feeling. And that feeling is gone. Jeez, you're just uh, making everything so sad today. Um, by the way, I think the idea for a WrestleMania entrance, I mean, sort of comes from him because all of his entrances were special. Even if he was working, uh, you know, Chattanooga at In Your House Final Four, the lights still went off. They still did something special. It was something to separate him from the pack. No one else got this special entrance. So it's just something that another contribution that I think shouldn't be forgotten about from him is that he brought this stylistic entrance to where now it's people trying to copy that, people trying to one-up him. And like he even helped out Finn Balor develop like the demon entrance and stuff. So now you got people going to him saying, what the hell should I do here? He really mastered the art of of a great entrance. And something I've kind of like I, I like about like boxing entrances. And that's what they ultimate like Goldberg's entrance. OK, that entrance makes even if he's coming out to beat up Disco Inferno. That's an amazing like that. That's like that gets people on their feet because wow, there's something special is about to happen here. And when you just have guys coming out to their theme music the same way they do every single week and they hit a pose and have some pyro go off as opposed to, you know, The Undertaker doing his, you know, slightly different. I mean, sometimes it would be the same for a stretch of time, but then, okay, now I'm going to use my hat to make the lights go off. Like, he would change it up. He would keep it fresh and... Uh, knowing when to like hit his marks and when the, the the flames would shoot up and 
he just really added he made everyone step their game up with with entrances so i'm sure that this was all stuff that like yeah like people like pat patterson and michael hayes and other longtime wwf people probably came up with and whatever vince you know contributed so it's not all just the undertaker but it's all that stuff that that made him so special and made every match a big match feel so it's sad knowing that that's not around anymore and i don't know they've just kind of phoned it in as i mean i hate to sound like a a cranky old man but you're not getting that feeling even at a wrestlemania you're not getting that feeling when a giant box of bootios gets pushed over and here comes the new day out of it you're not getting that feeling of like john cena driving a mustang <laughs> yeah yeah that doesn't do much for me i you're mean not, you don't get that wrestlemania feeling like you do when it was WrestleMania and it was The Undertaker. He was defined to his character to the point that this man got second and third degree burns and no, <laughs> yes. no sold that shit. Let's well, start. he sold it in that he ran to the ring. <laughs> so he ran to the ring saying, fuck, <laughs> this is this sucks. <laughs> so he did sell it a little bit. And I mean, he, like he was telling Austin in that, that interview or whatever, it's because he wears all that leather shit that he's he's really lucky that he wears all that like fire retardant material. And then also he got into that match and he was the last one out of his pod. So he got to at least like get his composure and get soaked down with water. So I think someone tweeted, uh, who's undertaker's greatest rival. And I wrote like the pyro. I replied back pyro (laughs) because yeah, that's the, that's the only time we've seen him break his, you know, break his entrance to to run to the ring was when he got lit on fire which he was just excited to get into the uh into the elimination chamber that's all that's like yeah that's how michael cole played it off jesus that was but what other person in all seriousness what other person is going to get lit on fire and i mean legit second and third degree burns on bare skin and be like all right yeah Let's go ahead and I'm going to perform, you know, I'm going to stand out here in front of this audience for 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. And I'm still going to perform a match, but I have skin literally just bubbling on my chest. Oh, it would suck. Yeah. He's a tough bastard. I I mean, who else else would legit do that? No, it's insane. These wrestlers are insane. Every wrestler, I think, is really insane and you're just insane to what degree are you insane and this man is up there and uh even though he was mad at the pyro guy for like setting it off or whatever the fact okay what was stupid is that the flame was in the center of the ramp whether or not like that's just a bad idea anyway whether or not the guy set it off at the wrong time or whatever like don't have flame shoot out where i'm gonna walk like (laughs) that's just what are you doing like he as much as he, because he actually got hit with flames that time, but there was one time I was watching, it was like when the network first came out, and I wanted to go back and watch all those like 97, 98 Raws, and there was definitely an episode in 98 where I think he was tagging up with Kane when it was like the conspiracy to like take, take Austin's belt, and so it was like before the Brothers of Destruction thing, but they were tagging up and Kane came out after Undertaker. So he needed to do his flame entrance. 
and uh, or it was after the match, and he was going to do his big flame spot, and they used to put him on each turnbuckle, and Undertaker was just leaning over that buckle, and I swear, Patrick, like Kane's hand goes down, and they hit the flames, and Undertaker just, I don't even, he wasn't moving his head like, oh, I know what's about to happen. He just moved his head accidentally at the last minute out of the way or else this man this man's head would have been on fire so it's don't put flames where people go you know don't put them in the corners of the ring or in the middle of the ramp you can put them off to the side but and that's just stupid i mean i i guess it's in hindsight it's really stupid that goldberg would stand there and be like yeah shoot me with sparkles what could go wrong like <laughs> what if someone accidentally like a pyro guy swat oh did you say put sparkles there? Oh man, I put I put artillery shells there. Oops, did I do something wrong? <laughs> like that's kind of insane too. So guys, don't I've only been burned by like bottle rockets and stuff and that sucked. So I can only imagine getting hit with a flame. Um I've like been, a, a body-sized flame. Yeah, I've been burned with like, you know, using flash paper for for to throw fire for matches and I've been, you know, burned when it comes to fireworks and things like that, but never to that extent. Maybe get like, you know, a little blister or something, but this man had skin literally boiling on his chest. That is that is the most you had to go to the emergency room after for skin grafts due to the burns you sustained from this. Oh, and I remember when he showed up on TV the next night or whatever, and he had, you could see all the marks on him where they had to like put shit all over him to like, like makeup to like cover up all his burns or whatever they were doing. Yeah. So I mean, they, they did skin grafts on his chest because of this. So it's, it's, it was very serious you know, bow down and praise him because I've been put through some shit myself during matches and ain't no way in hell I'm getting second and third degree burns and be like, oh yeah, fuck it. Let's go 45 more minutes. Hell no. We're taking that bitch home. Let's get to the back. Get me some fucking EMTs. Yeah. I mean, he was going into that match as the champion, so he had to be there till the end basically. So, right. Uh, so let's recap what he did at Survivor Series 2020, the final farewell. I just wanted to weigh in about the the card before that, because this was a three hour some odd wrestling pay-per-view, a network special, if you will, from the Thunderdome there in Orlando, which it's getting ready to move to Tampa. Uh, they they're getting kicked out of the Amway Center because basketball is going to start back up, even though it just ended. It's already basketball season again, so the Magic are going to want their arena back. And uh, that's where the Thunderdome's been set up. That's where Survivor Series was. And as we were talking about before we started recording, Patrick, I hate Survivor Series. I'm sorry. I know that you love the Big Four. You love wrestling pay-per-views. But this pay-per-view, as a concept, is dead. This thing needs to be put to rest. And I love it still to this day. I love the fact of a four on four or a five on five elimination style tag match. I think is one of the coolest things that you will ever see because it's not done so much. I don't mind them when they are done that 
in matches where there are stakes involved. Like I think it was five years ago where there was the one that Sting debuted at for the WWF. And I think the the performers, John Cena's team, their jobs were on the line, except for his, which was awesome. Like that they were like, yeah, your team will get fired. We have to keep you, of course, because you're very important. But <laughs> his team's job were on the line. So there's some even though it's a career step and all these guys are young or whatever, it's still something. It's something to get you hooked into the match. And it was like corporation versus their career. So there was a step on both sides. So there's consequences for either side losing. I don't mind that. If they want to do that, Patrick, I'm fine with five on five or four on four, however you want to do it. We can do those until the end of time. But Brand Warfare, SmackDown versus Raw is stupid. And it's stupid because these guys switch rosters every year, and sometimes they don't even respect the draft, and they just show up on the other brand anyway. And I think part of the the magic of the original Survivor Series, or the first few anyway, uh, well, there wasn't so much TV, so you didn't see these guys all the time anyway. There weren't, paper, there weren't as many pay-per-views. And so... You only saw these guys, what, once or twice a year before? And so now you're seeing them and you can get combinations of wrestlers that you never see together. And in this environment in 2020, you can't get that unless you actively protect it all year. Like if you kept these guys more so than a year, I think now you got to go like two years to, to make everyone forget that. These guys interact all the time. And I think also what hurts it is lack of tag teams and factions because a lot of these guys are just singles wrestlers. And that's why I kind of don't like random singles wrestlers paired as a tag team. And I don't like so that's why I don't like Survivor Series teams anymore, because they're going to interact here and then they're going to fight each other next week. So like it's it's just it's lost something to me. So. There's no there's no elimination chamber anymore since they spun that off into its own pay-per-view. There's no title matches because it's oh, it's the Universal Champ versus the WWE Champ, but no belt is on the line. It's just for bragging rights. Like make it a winner take all match. If you want your belt back, come come get it later. Like that's what I say, but what do I, I mean, know? Hell in a Cell being the pay-per-view literally right before WrestleMania, I believe. Hell in a Cell is not looked at as being as important as it used to be. They did like one a year for like a few years, but then totally gave it a rest for a couple of years and yeah. and then brought it back. But then they turned it into its own pay-per-view. And so now, now every year we have to have one, even though the feud's not hot enough or the competitors aren't hot enough. They're not big enough stars. Well, I'm sorry, guys. It's called Hell in a Cell, so you're going to have to get in there. So that's just why, and then that's the reason for the Survivor Series. It's like, we don't really have a reason for this, but it's called Survivor Series, so all you guys get in a tag team. Yeah, so that's my feelings on Survivor Series. So I don't really care too much. I didn't, like, I sat through, this is the first pay-per-view I've, I've sat through a lot of in a, in a few months. Um, so, and so, I sat through it to get to The Undertaker. But Same for me. I sat through the whole damn thing because I wasn't sure when they were going to do The Undertaker thing. But I sat through it strictly for the Undertaker, and yeah, so they so it worked. Their their bait and switch basically worked, 
I mean, it wasn't bait and switch. It was called the final farewell. Like they branded this whole thing around the undertaker. So I almost thought they didn't do enough Patrick because I kind of thought the whole night was going to be a celebration of the undertaker. And that's not what they did. At least no, from yeah. what it I saw. It should have been more devoted to his, you know, the fact that it was 30 years to the day. I think it should have been, you should have had highlight moments from Survivor Series matches. You should have had highlight moments of his career. You should have had highlight moments of every single title he won. You should have had this gigantic build to him walking through that damn curtain for the last fucking time later on that night. Yeah, or or even in the matches, if they had, like, if performers did, like, little tribute spots, like, if you saw, like, AJ Styles do, like, old school or something like that, you know, just little little nods here and there throughout the night, I thought would have been nice. Someone come down in a wingsuit, I guess. I mean, they wouldn't do a a lowering from the, the roof spot, but... Uh, someone get buried alive. Just something random, you know? They could have had the 24-7. They could have had the gobbledy gooker get buried alive. How about that? Uh, so I kind of didn't... I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more of that because usually I, I hate it when they go heavy on like, oh, remember this, remember this. But when you brand it in advance, like this is a celebration, this is all about the undertaker and then you don't give us that it's kind of shitty even though i know there's going to be a ton of stuff on the network i know like i mentioned there's going to be a hall of fame there's going to be all this other shit like so it's not like they're going to not do anymore but there's going to be a documentary about this night but i wish that more of that was just in the show while i'm here i might as well get what i came for but um yeah so describe uh, what the Undertaker did to say goodbye. Describe what you sat through a three-hour pay-per-view to get to. He, uh, well, he came out to his normal thing. He uh, got on, you know, the steps there, and it was really fucking cool. They had a a elevated uh, type deal where it rose. It, it he rose, like, swear to God, almost. 10, 15 feet in the air, 12 to 15 feet in the air from the main floor itself. Uh, it, it looked really cool. It slowly lowered back down to where it was, even with the ring apron, he got in, he uh, gave his speech, which was very short and to the point. He did his, uh, oh, let me take a step back. Before he walked through the curtain, they did... Uh, um, yeah, they made his theme song sound like it was being played on electricity. So it did like uh, Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Yes. Where they had like electricity shooting between two beams. Yes, and that was really badass, by the way. But back to him, he gives his speech and he does his Undertaker uh, pose deal, you know. And the coolest part, the coolest fucking part is when they showed... I don't know how they did this, but they showed a image of like a 3D style image of Paul Bear. Yeah, it was a hologram of Paul Bear. And that to me was the coolest fucking part of every bit of that because it just it sent it back to, you know, 1990, you know, all over again for me. 
And uh, I think that that just, that was really fucking cool. And that was the, the culmination turnaround, I think, of the whole, the whole thing of his career. And then, you know, he got out, walked up the ramp, did the one arm, throw him in the air, and walked. Yeah, see, up. I was afraid Kane was going to walk up then too, because before he he did all his, it was basically a thirty minute long Undertaker entrance with no match. Um, before he did that, though, they had all these friends and legends that are still alive because that's another thing that he, this dude has outlived a lot of his contemporaries. I know he's not even 60 years old yet, but sadly, that's just the case. And uh, they brought all these people he's faced or has uh, mentored or uh, contemporaries like uh, Big Show was in the ring and all this stuff. But for whatever reason, uh, Mayor Glenn Jacobs of Knox County uh, came out as Kane, and that's fine. But he was in his tights and shit like he came ready to work. And no one else in the ring was dressed like they were ready to work. So I was almost, I was like, are they going to fucking ruin this at the end with uh, Kane walking out to do his arm raise at the end? But no, they didn't. They, they resisted it. I just think that somebody told him to be in his, someone told Kane, be in your gear. And then, oh, just kidding. We don't have anything for you to do, but thanks for wearing your gear. I just found that strange, but you got a Godfather sighting. A, uh, a oh God- right, yeah, that's a Godwins. That was the oh yeah. The, they God- tried to reassemble as much of the Bone Street crew as they could, so the Godwins, Hog and Pig, got got to come out. I don't think I had seen either of those guys in many many years, not mm-hmm. even on like shoot interviews or anything. So. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. It, thankfully, Midian had his clothes on, so he was not Ooh. naked. Midian, and uh, yeah, the Undertaker uh, does his arm raise at the end and just walks off, and that's it. For thirty long years, I've made that slow walk to this ring. And have laid people to rest time and time again. And now, my time has come. My time has come. To let the Undertaker rest in peace. I was a little disappointed with this. I don't know exactly what I was expecting because to be honest with you, what I was expecting was them to tease to another match. I know that that seems stupid when they're branding at the final farewell, but 
I'm just so used to swerves and I was just expecting like, oh, the fiend Bray Wyatt's going to attack him right at the end. I was waiting for that. I'm not even going to lie. I I was waiting for the fiend to pop up somewhere or some shit. And even if it wasn't an attack so much, it's like a nod to pass on that weird ass creepy character style, you know, some sort of a something, you know? Well, it's also because yeah, Undertaker has faked us out before. He actually kind of by doing this at Survivor Series, he kind of spared you and I because at WrestleMania 33, I was ready to go at the end of that night. That was a marathon of a WrestleMania for me. Uh to that the way they were hitting me with that damn blue light, Patrick. And That's uh funny. Blue light one, the you know, it's blue light one u zero. I want to see a rematch here. Oh, I tapped out and I was just beaten down. Like the weather was okay, everything was fine. I don't. I I felt like I had been in an Iron Man match. And so as soon as Roman Reigns got the three count, like we were out of that fucking arena. Like, and so we were outside when Undertaker did one of his many, it seems like, fake retirements, but. That's what and that's what he did that night. I mean, he put his shit in the ring like that was so I'm glad that we got this rewrite. But even but I'm afraid in future documentaries, they'll use that footage. So they're going to rewrite history is what they're going to do. Um, because also they're doing this in the Thunderdome. There's no fans. So if you compared the two farewells, I think the 33 farewell is actually better. I want to I want to understand something. Did they pipe in live from the like live mics from people who were you know watching on their? Oh no, no, they used clips for the thank you taker chants oh. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So during this, another thing about WWE that I've always kind of like when SmackDown used to be recorded and they would mess with the audio, I used to not. I couldn't watch it. Because they would, I they would start people chanting, and there's no one. They're sitting on their hands. Um, but I understand in, in these times you don't have a crowd, so they didn't want this to just be silent, I guess. And so they had like piped in chants and like thank you taker and all this stuff. And then they even had them saying like rest in peace. They had crowd noise saying the rest in peace line, which I kind of think takes away from. Like, cause Undertaker, he seemed a little emotional when he was saying it. So, I think they kind of walked on that a little bit by having the fake chants, you know. So yeah, I think in future like retrospectives, DVDs, I say DVDs like they're a thing anymore. Like, I mean, in in future video release video, in future whatever formats, they will just splice in that 33 finale, and that will be. I hate to go back to the Jordan thing, but that'll be his game six shot. That'll against the Jazz. This'll be Yeah. Not not when he walks off the court at his last Wizards game. So it'll be thirty three and that'll be the end. But we know what happened. We we saw the we saw what happened. So yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the fake crowd noise and yeah, I'm I'm a little I hate to say that I'm disappointed because I I was thinking about it going into Survivor Series. There's no one that I really want to see him fight, even Bray Wyatt. He's done it before. I mean, he wasn't the fiend then, but he's done it before. But I still, for whatever reason, I still wanted them to 
bait and switch us and tease to another match for whatever reason. Even if they never paid it off. I, I don't because, know. I, because the, me too. But because deep down, I just didn't want to admit like, hey, he is done. This is over. <laughs> now, see, I'm going to play this back for you in a couple of years when he comes out to do another Saudi Arabia match. Um, say, you do that because this one I am betting is is done. This one. Oh, is boy. Over. That's not a good bet. I mean, even on that Austin podcast at the end, he's like, well, if the boss calls me, I'll do something. So I'm, I'm betting this one. This is it. I truly believe because if he bait and switches us this time, do you know how much shit? No, he's the undertaker. He's no, no, he never. He's Teflon, man. He doesn't. Wrong. No, hell no. <laughs> You're going to really get upset over this one. Yeah, I am. Listen, listen. Uh, that, if that motherfucker does that, who, <laughs> I swear to God, because I'm going to be fucking livid because of the fact he's that he's toyed with our emotions so many times. Toyed with our fucking emotions, and you just you have just sealed your fate, saying, "All right, this was it. I'm done." If that son of a bitch comes back and does another <laughs> match, I, listen, I got pissed at Sean for doing it. Okay, if this son of a bitch does this. I'm gonna be pissed as hell too. I think I'd be. I'm more upset with this one, just because I know it won't be like like Sean waited what like uh, almost a decade, more than a decade to do that match. So it wasn't like oh, it was just a couple years later, or or in Undertaker's case, it might be four months from now. So that well, makes this WrestleMania 27. No, it, what was it? 26, because it was 26. the rematch. Okay. All right. So, so what year was? So this is thirty six. So it was ten years ago. He did that match a couple years ago. So he, ooh, he didn't years. make it eight years. Uh, yeah. Seven, 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 eight years. Okay. Yeah. So okay. And then he he did that match and he didn't come back for more. So I'm just saying it's it, still. I'm and saying, he wrestled the guy that he lost the match to. So I don't give a fuck. If that something <laughs> his boots one more time, I swear to God, I am going to blow my fucking top. And y'all will hear this on this podcast because I will rip into him and Vince and everybody because you're fucking with my emotions here. I got upset at WrestleMania 30. I got upset the other night when he retired. Like, do not fuck with me again. All right. He's done this so many times already. He's done it like three or four times already. It's just like. Come on, dude. I mean, and that's the thing with Undertaker. Like he always in all these interviews, he comes across like the most humble dude. Like, hey, you know, I'm just one of the boys. Don't like he seems like a real down to earth dude. And at the same time, after meeting him, I can say that he really is a down to earth dude. That I know he probably is. But there's a part of his ego, though. He likes all this attention. Like he, I, I feel like he's doing this on purpose. You know, he's like, he likes this attention. He likes teasing us like this. <laughs> it's fun for him. <laughs> it's, it's to serve his own ego. And I mean, that doesn't make you a bad person or whatever. But I say, sir, I say it's about his ego and stuff too, because now he's on cameo doing thousand dollar cameo calls. So, um, and I'll put a few in. I think at the end of this podcast, some of them are just fucking hilarious. 
Patrick, if you ever spend a thousand dollars, if you give the Undertaker a thousand dollars to send me a message, I might punch you in the face. Don't give this man a thousand dollars. He's got plenty of fucking money, and I don't need you to spend a thousand dollars to get him to say whatever to you know, happy birthday to me. So it's just really stupid. And he's gonna, he's gonna sing happy birthday to you and with the gong playing in between every word. That's Some of the shit that he's cameo put up a few of his examples of the ones that he's sent out already. And so it's him and his undertaker gear and he's in front of like a curtain and it's like, Tommy, Tommy, you've been a very good boy for your mama. I'm glad you got on a roll. Rest in <laughs> wait, peace. Wait, okay. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. So, the, oh, wait, wait, wait. So, <laughs> I was wondering where the fuck that footage was that you put on our Twitter page. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, all right. So, that was legit one of those cameo things where he's talking about you were such a good little boy and you made mommy and daddy happy or something. Oh, no, shit. I think the one that I retweeted was, <laughs> you're a great father. Or, like, you're a great husband. <laughs> you always take out the garbage. <laughs> rest in peace or something it's something really stupid but yeah cameo puts up examples of wait so that was real because i thought that was bullshit somebody done computer generated this shit so that's no what... yeah he's doing those on cameo like you, on, on cameo you can send them a script of what you want to say and it has to be like a certain length of time and you yeah. know he's not going to say anything he disagrees with i can't send him one that says like Say Crispin was the greatest dad that ever was or whatever. He's not going to say that. Um, but he'll say, you know, random general shit. So it's just weird where he's like, Pookie, you're the best. Chihuahua anybody could own. Thank you. Thank you for being such a great husband. Thank you for being such a wonderful father. You should give your mom a big hug and tell her it's from The Undertaker. And AJ... You fine, real fine, Darrell. And anybody who doesn't like it can rest in peace. You take day by day, step by step, and each day there's things are going to get much better. And one day your heart surgery will be a distant memory, but I won't. Because I'll be haunting your dreams. All elite Scooby-Doo. That's how I'm going to address you. Well, all elite Scooby-Doo. Congratulations on getting married. You did the right thing. And just like he does that. Sh and you spent a thousand dollars. And like when you send the request or whatever, I guess you can click a thing that says you can post it publicly. Cameo can post it. And so those are some of the examples that people allowed to be posted, because I think you can say I don't want it posted if it's like, I don't know if you were like wishing, wishing your wife a happy anniversary or something. You want it private. I guess you can say that. But um, it's so fucking weird, man. This guy that was so like, yeah, just like. Committed oh. to his character, never break character, and here he is in his gear in front of this fucking curtain for a thousand dollars a pop. Like the guy that doesn't need the money. It's not like it says, "Oh, it all goes to charity" or something. Like that would be pretty awesome, I guess. But uh, it's just like 
Come on, Undertaker. Come on, man. Come on, dude. I thought thought he's not allowing cameos. What the fuck? Why is he, you know? I think if you're on a Legends contract, it's okay. And and on the site, their logo is like on the site. So I don't know. Maybe they're getting a cut too. Like maybe his cut is like 500 bucks and then Cameo takes 250 and WWE take 250 or something. But (laughs) it's just weird to see like Mark Calloway reading like, just random shit in Undertaker you're the best, voice. You're the best husband ever. <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the greatest man I've ever known, and just weird shit like that. And and he always tags him usually like with rest in peace. I mean that's his thing. But yeah. thankfully there was one where they like it was sent to some nurse like to thank her for something, and he didn't say it at the end of that, which is good during these pandemic times. To you don't want to say that to a first responder or something, or you're, frontline you're, workers. You're such a good nurse. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for all you've done to help out all the COVID nineteen patients. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, fucked up stuff. Um, but that yeah, would be, I, that would be that would be fucked up. But you're right. Patrick, don't get any ideas, though. Please don't spend $1,000 on him. But remember when he was, uh, when they didn't give him the Legends contract and he was going to do StarCast or whatever, but we talked about, like, how much money it was going to cost. Like, get him to do an hour was, like, I want to say it was, like, a hundred grand or something. It was something crazy for an hour. And it was, like... There were all, I mean, there were things with that too, like airfare and everything, you know, he's not, he's going to fly first class. I mean, oh God, yeah. to get your money back, just the rate of like, we did the math, like the rate of how many people and how you'd have to charge to get like your money out of it. It's crazy. Yeah. So, like you, you got lucky. You met him at a car show for free with the price of your ticket. Um, <laughs> So I'm not going to send him a thousand dollars. Take me a message about like. Well, he's the- going to say he's you know he would just say the retro wrestling podcast is the greatest podcast alive anyway, but he would do that for free. He of course, yes. He would pay us money for yeah, that exactly. kind of exposure. He needs help getting his name out there. I wonder if he is now going to be able to do StarCast. And I imagine they've got him on a Legends deal for a few more years. Because really, because with their other... Le- like, they did it with Kurt Angle, too. So when we went to that WrestleCon, like, there were some people... Like, Jim Ross was there when he was still working for the con- company, so... I'm saying, Shawn Michaels, who working, was working in NXT, was there doing com- uh, WrestleCon. So well, he that's Hunter's boy, so he can do whatever he wants. But um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, the Bone Street Crew can't, but the Clip can. Well, Thing <laughs> was still wrestling for WWE. Oh, he definitely probably still had a Legends contract. Yeah, but so, he's able to go do stuff. I don't know if he's got one still though. Since no, he has been completely let go from WWE. Well, he still lets them use him in video games, though, so... I mean, so does Rick Martell, but that doesn't mean that oh, he's yeah. all like... Yeah, Rick Martell, who's a part of Survivor Series 1990, makes it to the final, the main event of Survivor Series 1990, Rick Martell. This is November 22nd, 1990, so 30 years ago, almost to the day. Yeah, a night of two big debuts, a night that will... Never be forgotten for the two future legends. And and who would have thought that 
this debut coming out of an egg would go on to be the greatest 30-year tenure ever in WWE history. I know, yeah. And he won the 24-7 belt uh, at Survivor Series 2020. So he walked away having a better night than uh, Undertaker on yeah. at Survivor Series 2020. I picked this because, yeah, the I knew the anniversary was coming up. I knew the Undertaker Final Farewell was coming up. Uh, and I also picked it because I thought I had it on VHS, which I did at one point, but I couldn't find it, Patrick. So I ended up watching the network version. Uh, this was a, a video cassette that I got from Video Park in my hometown, which was a little small mom and pop video rental store. And it used to have a section of wrestling videos. And when the store was going out of business, I was like, you know, I'm, I haven't really watched a lot of wrestling, but this one looks awesome because it's got everybody on the cover, like everybody that I know. And I think I'm going to buy this. And I got Survivor Series 1990 and... For a long time, it was the only piece of wrestling anything that I actually owned. So, um, but I couldn't find the tape. I was devastated because I've still got a VCR somewhere around here, and I was gonna throw it in and uh, set adjust the tracking and everything else. Kids do not know how to adjust tracking nowadays, and that is a very sad, sad thing. Even you're a little bit younger than me. For the most part, you got auto tracking, so you were really lucky. I definitely had my dad had an old VCR that had like manual knobs to adjust the tracking. So, yeah, it was. Um, oh, the yeah, the kids these days don't know how good they got it. Exactly. Uh, they, they get to go on YouTube and there's no knobs to adjust YouTube. Vince runs down the Survivor Series card. Uh, we get the Hulkamaniacs taking on the Natural Disasters, the Dream Team versus the Million Dollar Team. The Alliance, the original Alliance, versus the Mercenaries, the Vipers, no Randy Orton, versus the Visionaries, the Warriors versus the Perfect Team, and then Vince gives us the classic Vince growl, which he also did for Undertaker. We failed to mention that in the uh, Undertaker farewell. Uh, Bad, by the way, too. Oh, Vince looks every bit of however old he is, 78 or 9 now, I don't know, but oh boy. I thought he's like 82. We're both wrong. This man is only 75. Holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) He's aged terribly in the last few years. The work has caught up to his ass. Holy hell. They say, uh, they say nothing lasts forever. I think they're wrong. Because the legacy of The Undertaker will live on eternally. So now I give you the dead man, the phenom, ladies and gentlemen, The Undertaker. He's had something going on with his face. It looks like he's had some plastic surgery on his face or something. He before after all the legends came out, they aired a video of all these Undertaker highlights, like a minute or two long video, which is what I thought they should have been doing all night. And then Vince does his classic Vince, gr- the Undertaker, one last time from Vince. 
I think Vince should have announced his retirement, too, I, I think. So we get Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper on commentary tonight. But Roddy Piper, unfortunately for us, is playing a face commentator. So no good. Um, this is Piper's Piper. return uh, from doing... They uh, Live, as this They, they live. live. They Live or Hell Comes to Frogtown, one of the two. Yeah, this is from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut, in front of about 16,000 people. It's the WWF Thanksgiving night tradition, even though when you didn't have three football games, you only had two. You could turn on Survivor Series, even though I think this aired in the afternoon. So I guess you would have to pick. So, yeah, Piper is in this uh, commentary role as Bobby Heenan would be a little busy through the night. He had to walk out like five or six wrestlers. Uh, the Soul Survivor Challenge is new this year. That's where if you win, you advance to a final Survivor Series match. So if your team wins, even if there's all of you remaining or one of you remaining, you all go to a final battle. So that's new this year, plus new this year, a giant egg. What could be in that, Patrick? Could the there underpants. be yeah, could there be a mortician from the old west in that egg? Find out. Roddy Piper says this Survivor Series is on the Armed Forces Network, so enjoy it, because this was during the first Gulf War and the Persian Gulf in Iraq, and um, they really wanted to remind you of that all night. But this would not be the height of them reminding you about the actual war. That would come at WrestleMania 7 in just a few months. So Piper wants to charge Saddam Hussein double for the pay-per-view. He assumes that Saddam Hussein ordered this pay-per-view and only paid regular price. And well, I believe so. I would believe in it. I don't think he did, and I don't think Piper can charge him double. Fink introduces the perfect team. So that means WWF champion Ultimate Warrior jerking the curtain tonight, Patrick. A weird thing going on here to put your title holder in the first match but because he has a busy night later this evening yeah and he's the ultimate warrior so he needs all the gas in his gas tank that he can get to go he needs to rest and put on some more face paint if he's going to come back later but we'll see if he comes back later because first he's got to get through mr perfect with demolition all three members of demolition a rare Three-member demolition, Freebird rule demolition here, as it was Axe, Smash, and Crush with Mr. Perfect, who uh, has Bobby Heenan with him, and Mr. Fuji is with demolition. Mean Gene is backstage with the Ultimate Warriors, which the Ultimate Warriors are my favorite Survivor Series team ever because you have Kerry Von Erich, the modern-day warrior, or Texas Tornado, as he's called now, the Road Warriors, who are the Legion of Doom, and the Ultimate Warrior. So all the Warriors together, Patrick, they, they just look like they belong together. And I hate that they only show up in this one Survivor Series. Um, Hawk says he'll do whatever it takes. Animal says he won't let the fans down. Ultimate Warrior doesn't want anything to do with perfection, and that the Ultimate Warriors will be protected by a force field. And there's no medicine to cure what they have, which I don't want to know what they have. <laughs> so there you go. I'm including all these promos, so just enjoy them. Ah! 
I don't know what my thoughts are exactly, except I know the four of us are gonna take the four of them, whatever it takes, Gene. All right, Intercontinental Champion, the Texas Tornado. You've seen what demolition can do. And you've seen what Perfect can do. Now check out what we can do. From the Legion of Doom, Animal. Demolition, Mr. Perfect! Submission is one way to go down. And for all the little warriors, the little tornadoes, and the little doomers, we won't let you down. World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, Captain. Wanting nothing to do with anything close to perfectness, I've asked all the skeletons that have already made that sacrifice to follow me and these three warriors, the Legion of Doom and the Texas Tornado into this battle, whether to walk farther than all the rest or to stay behind and make the sacrifice. It makes no difference, Mr. Perfect in Demolition. For as the ultimate warrior, I surround us in this force field, and we have become one. We have formed a bond like no other, and no one can break what we have created. There is no poison, no creation, and no medicine to cure what we have. You, Mr. Perfect and Demolition, will not survive. Out first for the Warriors, who get all their entrances. Modern Day Warrior, Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, who is carrying the IC belt, but he's already actually lost it. The um, episode of Main Event just hasn't aired yet, so they taped it out of order. So, hey, Kerry, we know you're not the Intercontinental Champ, but you have to take this out there because to these fans you are. So, there you go. I don't know who the tag champs were because they never appeared tonight, so... If they were on the card, they didn't have their belts with them, so I don't know who the tag belts belong to. Then it's the Road Warriors who make their quickest entrance ever, because they sort of just appear in the ring, like their music hits and they're in the ring. Then the champion Ultimate Warrior runs out to the ring with a white strap on his belt. Patrick, this guy gets a new strap on his belt all the time. It makes me think that Warrior physically lost his belts a lot. And that they said, here's a spare. Oh, you forgot your baby blue belt? Here's a white belt. So, something I didn't remember from this show was him having a white world title winged eagle belt. He had white, he had baby blue, he had yellow. Yeah, he had yellow. I don't, did he have yellow on the title belt? I knew he had it on the IC belt, but. It might have been only the IC belt. But he's got to have all the colors to match his makeup i guess i don't know animal tackles smash to start the match smash gets decked by all the warriors smash suplexes him for a near fall perfect takes over on animal some big chops he tags out smash eats a power slam and then the warriors clean house carrie comes into the match but demolition keep him in the corner axe runs into the claw the von eric claw but smash smash saves him ultimate warrior comes in does his leaping shoulder tackle to axe hits his splash and axe is the lucky man tonight. He gets to go home early. And this would be one of Axe's last appearances in the company. So, uh, as they were spinning Demolition off into Crush and Smash, which would also not last very long until the Repo Man came along and Kona Crush. Warrior cleans house for a moment before Barry Darso slows him down. Crush lands a knee off the top to Warrior for a two count. Hawk and Mr. Perfect square off. Hawk poses and no-sells. Mr. Perfect's offense until he rams his shoulder into the post. Hawk never really sells his shoulder, even though it's supposed to be injured. And then he shoulder tackles Smash with his bad shoulder. Hawk then hits Smash with a flying clothesline for a two. But Mr. Perfect and the Perfect team save him. 
The ref DQs the Legion of Doom and Demolition for brawling and bumping into him. So it's two-on-one with Warrior and Carry versus Mr. Perfect. So the faces have a two-on-one advantage. Carry uh, hits the discus punch and Perfect sails over the ropes before he gets brought back into the ring. But then Warrior just rolls him in and tosses Bobby into the crowd. So Mr. Perfect slows Carry down with a knee lift. Perfect plex to Carry. One, two, three. Carry's eliminated with Warrior just standing there watching. So thanks, Warrior. We're down to Warrior and Perfect. Perfect plex to Warrior, and he kicks out at two, which Gorilla and Piper don't even mention. And this is like one of the few times, maybe the first, it's ever been kicked out of on TV. Do not use your finishing move on the Warrior if you want it to survive. Um, This guy... The only thing I didn't like about this match is that it meant that Mr. Perfect had to lose, and so he wouldn't be in the finals tonight. But outside of that, it was fine. And... If you're just going to lose in the finals, I don't know what's better to just lose now and get it over with or lose later. So, um, yeah, that's the only downside is that Kurt Henning was done for the night in the first match. So and really, Bobby, like Bobby didn't get a lot of work tonight. I mean, he came out a couple more times. But so Sean Mooney is with the million dollar team. That's Ted DiBiase, Virgil, and Rhythm and Blues, so I know who your favorite is here. Uh, Ted does all the talking and says Dusty will beg him for forgiveness. You know, I am so excited, baby, because you see, the Million Dollar Team, along with Rhythm and Blues, baby, we will survive! Ted DiBiase, quite a crowd here, but conspicuous by his absence, your mystery tag team partner... If uh, he is going to show up at all here tonight. Show up, little man. He relieved me. He is here, and it's only a matter of minutes before everyone knows his identity. As usual, the million-dollar man has done things in grand fashion, and I promise this to be a big, very big surprise. And as for you, Birdman, Coco Beware, you're just one more bird that's going to be plucked and stuffed this Thanksgiving Day. And the Heart Foundation, you're on your way to Heartbreak Hotel via Rhythm and Blues. And last but not least, you, Dusty Rhodes, will be where I always have said you'll be, on your hands and knees, begging, humble before the million-dollar man. But there'll be no mercy tonight, because tonight, only the strong survive. (laughs) Dusty Rhodes, with no polka dots, comes out, followed by Coco Beware and the Heart Foundation, and they all have to walk out to Dusty's theme. So the Heart Foundation coming out to... American Dream is a little weird. Piper is on commentary, so he does mention, though, that Brett is wrestling, even though his brother Dean died right before this. So they would reward Brett for his attending this thing by giving him a good showcase tonight. He was probably the one guy that had a really good showcase. Rhythm and Blues is out next. Everyone on the Million Dollar Team is still alive, Patrick. Even the dead man is still alive. And even the manager, Brother Love, Everybody, this is like one of the few examples in an old WWF pay-per-view where I can find a team of like a bunch of people and they're all alive. So I say that I don't have any wood to knock on. I'm probably cursing these guys now. Ted DiBiase is out next with Virgil, and who was actually given that name to make fun of Dusty Rhodes. So a bit of irony here that uh, Virgil is in a match with Virgil Runnels. So And Ted... Well, Patrick, he's got a surprise for us. Undertaker walks out with Brother Love and Piper's commentary, which they edited around in 2020 for some reason, because they edited it to just say, look at the size of that guy. But what he actually says is, look at the size of those ham hocks. Check out the drumsticks on that guy. 
<laughs> so he was making Thanksgiving puns on The Undertaker. I've said a million times before, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. So without further ado, I will introduce to you now my mystery partner, led to the ring by his manager, Brother Love, weighing in at 320 pounds from Death Valley. I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner is now revealed. I never heard of him. Oh, take oh, a look. Holy cow. Look at the size of that ham hock. Check out them drumsticks, baby. 320 pounds, looks to be 6'9", 6'10", some of that neighborhood, lad. 6'10", I don't know, it's hard to tell from here. Holy cow! And look at the look on the face. I don't, do you think it's his coffee? Doesn't look like he's having a good time. He didn't just say, wow, what a demonic force. That guy is crazy. No, to Roddy Piper, he was a big turkey. He also says, it doesn't look like he's having a very good time. And this is, of course, big ginger taker. The red hair was out in full force. The red mullet, an amazing mullet, has arrived. And it's staring a big hole through Dusty's dream team. Taker starts a match against Bret Hart, a preview of things to come in the 90s. Taker blatantly chokes Hart, and the anvil comes to take over. Taker scoop slams him, and he tags in Coco Beware. Very unfortunate spot for Coco Beware. Taker throws him into the ropes, and then hits the first tombstone, a nasty fucking-looking tombstone. This was brutal. He just dropped this man I thought he he killed Coco he just Undertaker not realizing how long he would be wrestling in this company and not realizing the value of his knees fell hard as fuck on his knees to tombstone this man near the ropes so he had to awkwardly kind of shuffle Coco back from under the ropes to do his little Undertaker pose one two three Coco Beware goes down in the history books as the first victim to rest in peace. Taker then tags in. Go ahead. And to get tombstone by the Undertaker. Taker had done dark matches as Kane the Undertaker, so he had worked before, but this was his TV debut. Taker tags in Valentine to take on Dusty. The Hammer and Dusty exchange chops before Dusty elbows him and tags in Anvil. Brett comes in and gets kept in the heel's corner while they work him over. Honky Tonk Man beats down Brett, but walks into a power slam from Anvil. One, two, three, Honky Tonk Man goes home. DiBiase comes in, gets slammed by Anvil before Dusty takes over. Multiple elbows to him in the corner, followed by a drop kick from Dusty Rhodes. Then Anvil gets a couple of near falls on DiBiase before Virgil trips him up, and DiBiase pins him like a goof to eliminate Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Brett comes in, takes over as the faces are down three to two. Shake, rattle, and roll from Dusty to DiBiase, who tags an Undertaker. Taker comes in for a second before tagging DiBiase back in to take on the faces. Taker goes to the top rope for an axe handle to Dusty and eliminates him. So it's Brett versus three heels. 
The crowd come to life to root on Bret Hart. This is crazy, the reaction he got here. Brother Love gets some digs in at Dusty as he leaves. Dusty takes Brother Love and distracts Taker, which Taker still doesn't understand the rules of wrestling. He's still fresh out of the crypt, and so he just walks away to chase down um, Dusty and get his beloved Brother Love back and gets counted out. So he's eliminated. Undertaker was not a legal man. That is true. That is true. So how did he get counted out when he was not the legal man? He could have easily returned to the match. This happened a few times tonight. So that's the one thing about Survivor Series is um, countouts and DQs are just mysterious in how they operate. And I think even by 1990. If you watched a few Survivor Series, I mean, there were only a few before this, you would kind of, you'd just be like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to get too mad because they do this every year. (laughs) But yeah, Taker's first loss, his debut, and he loses. But he'd be back next year and would be walking out with the title belt. So hang in there, buddy. I think it's going to be okay. Uh, They disappear into the back. It's two on one with Hammer and DiBiase. All against Brett. Hammer tries the figure four, and Brett rolls him up. One, two, three for an elimination. Now the crowd's on fire because Brett, it's, he's going to do it. He's going to pull this off. Ted DiBiase and Brett Hart are the final two. Brett hits a planche out to DiBiase on the ring mats, and then Brett throws him into the post and steps. The ref is very generous with his count for once because both of these guys should have been counted out. Brett then gets thrown sternum first into the post. DiBiase gets a near fall. Backslide to DiBiase, that's a near fall. Brett trips on DiBiase, sells his knee, but he played possum. Tries an O'Connor roll, gets two count. Virgil then holds Brett back, but DiBiase takes Virgil out by mistake. It's looking good for the hitman. Second rope elbow for a two count. A crossbody off the second rope, but Ted rolls through and gets the fluke pinfall win over Brett Hart. And Ted DiBiase is going to the sole survivor match. And he gets out of Dodge quickly. So Brett just sulks in the ring. A similar look to his Survivor Series match seven years from now as a stunned Bret Hart sits in silence. So what did you think of this match between the Million Dollar Team and the Dream Team? Oh, it was an outstanding, magnificent, historical match that will go down in the annals of time as the greatest match in Survivor Series history. Really, there's not been anything better at Survivor Series ever? Never. <laughs> Even uh, Shawn Michaels in the Elimination Chamber, that's not better. Yeah, no, but this it, gave birth to The Undertaker. So Exactly. That, that alone right there makes it the greatest. I think you're just uh, a little foggy from the highs of The Undertaker. So. Um, <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was very entertaining. It showed Brett... Uh, a very young Bret Hart at the capabilities that he has and proves that he was easily the next choice to take that, that stand for the world title Uh, within the next few years. That was going to be the case. We almost had a massive uh, murder in Coco beware cause that tombstone was brutal. And, um, we had uh, a very major 
debut in The Undertaker, the excitement of Ted DiBiase and being able to show that he's capable of anything. It just, I think it was a very good match, uh, a very solid match. And I put it up there as one of the top five best Survivor Series matches of all time, strictly because of the entertainment value that it had, even including Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I think this is probably the best match of the night. So, Oh, absolutely. This is match of the night for sure. Mean Gene is in the shower with the Vipers. It's led by Jake the Snake, and Jake, thankfully for us, does all the talking, and you can listen to it here. The way you see it, brother, you're talking about survivors. That's the key word. These men have both survived the scars of time, my man. You think about it. This man had his lug kettle. Why? Because power and glory snapped the knee, but he survived. He's back here. He stood through time. This man here, you look at him. You could have wrote it better in stone, my man. This man has the scars of time written all over his face. And me, well, Rick Martell, as you can well see, I've stood the test too. Remember this, so you're not leading lambs to the slaughter. You're not giving the Christians to the lions, man. And one thing's for sure, brother, you're not going to be picking no cherries. If you think you are, just rattle this tree and see if old Damien don't fall out on you. They're taking on the visionaries led by Rick Martell, power and glory with Slick and the Warlord. Jake comes out with Damien, the snake, followed by the Rockers and Jimmy Snooker, which for the Rockers, it killed their entrance because they had to come out to Jake Roberts theme song, which is not rocking at all. Um, And then, you know, they couldn't really dance around. That's sort of their thing. And then uh, I won't usually, you know, I'm not going to weigh in much on Jimmy Snooker, but between here and WrestleMania, this man ages like seven years. Like he looks relatively young here and then at wrestlemania when he's up against undertaker he looks like an old man and that's from november to march so i don't know what happened in that time but jimmy snooker aged really badly in the winter and spring of 90 and 91 um lord starts with marty oh my boy marty Janetti. he can't get the big man off his feet the warlord so he holds Warlord for Sean to come in and hit a clothesline. Martell comes in, eats some offense from Sean. Jake runs in, but Martell escapes before he can get him because, you see, Jake lost the vision in one of his eyes from arrogance, the toxic spray that Rick Martell sprays into the eyes of his opponents. Uh, It's supposed to be perfume, I guess. Oh, exactly, yeah. Snooker runs into a power slam from Warlord, but drop kicks him into the corner before tagging in Marty. Marty gets locked in a bear hug, but escapes and tries something off the second rope, but gets caught in a power slam from Warlord and eliminated. Sorry, Marty. Warlord gets Hurricane rana Yes, that's right. Shawn Michaels made Warlord do a Hurricane rana or take one anyway. Jake tags in and you immediately get the DDT chance, but they don't get that. What they get instead is him tussling with Warlord. And Sean tags back in. Sean bumps around for the heels until he can tag in Snuka. Snuka and Martell square off. Martell rolls through a cross from Snuka and pins him with a handful of tights. So I guess he was watching the last match and saw Ted DiBiase do the exact same thing. And Martell eliminates Snuka. 
So Jake comes in and Martel runs away again and tags Hercules in. Four on two for the heels now as it's just Jake and Shawn Michaels. Jake tries a DDT on Hercules, but Hercules escapes. Jake gets beaten down by the heels who take advantage of his one-eyedness. He's only got he's got bad depth perception. Roman misses dropping a fist from the top rope and Jake gets a tag to Shawn. Shawn hits a reverse elbow to Roma followed by a suplex and an elbow drop. But Hercules gets a blind tag, takes over on Shawn. They hit the powerplex, which is a suplex into a big splash from Roma, and Sean gets eliminated. So Jake is now four on one. Can Jake run the table here? No, no, he can't. The crowd in Hartford want a Jake rally, though. Warlord slaps on a bear hug. Jake thumbs him in the eyes to escape. DDT to Warlord out of nowhere, but Martel sprays arrogance in his face. He's going to try and take out the good eye, but Jake turned to avoid it. Jake says, okay, you've sprayed arrogance. I'm going to get the snake out. So he gets Damien out of the bag and chases Martel down the ramp. And I guess he got tired because Martel would be back later tonight. And only Jake gets counted out and the visionaries advance. So there you go. Uh, so Martel comes back because he wasn't the legal man. But right. The Undertaker can't because he wasn't the legal man. So, just throwing that one out right. there. Right, and tag team partners, LOD and uh, Demolition, they could all get DQ'd at the same time, even though they're not the legal men. Exactly. <laughs> so, just thank you for clarifying the rules. Uh, that um, It's all made up as we go, so yes. and that's what it is. But what did you think of the Vipers versus the Visionaries? Uh, there was not any shocking elements to this match that I didn't see going into it whatsoever. No, they were saying, <laughs> good, yeah, you didn't see anything. Just like Jake didn't see anything out of that eye. They would have their big payoff at WrestleMania, the blindfold match coming up. So stay tuned for that. Um, Which actually so, was a very good match, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen that. Well, it's light years better than the blindfold match they tried in TNA. Uh, not those two guys, but two other guys. Um, it was like Wildcat Chris Harrison, somebody. Um, so the visionaries advance, and Rick Martel's music plays, even though he's not even there in the ring to celebrate. So Hercules and Rick Martel's music doesn't exactly go together, but that's what we get. January nineteenth, Patrick, the Royal Rumble, thirty men out for themselves, no friends, only foes. See you then. Mooney is with the Hulkamaniacs. Hulk. <sighs> Hulk has been surviving for a long time, little dude. But Hogan, as to my surprise, actually lets the other Hulkamaniacs talk. And also, how shitty is it that they're all Hulkamaniacs? That they're not just... Well, I guess the other team was the Warriors, so... But they were all called Warrior. These guys are all just fans of Hulk Hogan. Hogan takes the mic back towards the end. He dedicates this match to the troops, brother. And President Bush, when all this is over tonight, give us a call. And we'll come down there, which you shouldn't say that kind of shit, Hogan, because you don't want to get shipped overseas. <laughs> like, what if they had really called his bluff? I wish President H.W. Bush had actually called him up and said, OK, suit up, pal. <laughs> you, you, you said you'd volunteer. So. You asked for it, kid. Yeah. 
I'm gonna hold you to it. We need the help. Well, you know something, brother? Me and all my little holsters, we've been surviving around the WWF for quite some time now, little dude. And you know, now that the whole world is in a state of confusion, and especially the WWF is turning topsy-turvy, this is our chance to prove that the four demands of the training, the prayers, the vitamins, and believing in yourself will make you a survivor in any situation, man. You know, first off, dudes, I've assembled the baddest team of Hulkamaniacs I could possibly find. Hacksaw Jim Duggan with a 2x4 is a deadly weapon in himself. And the big tugboat brother, he's just like the USS Missouri man, watching all my little holsters back. And when you're in the Survivor Series, dudes, sometimes there are no rules, man. But this time, the big boss man is going to be laying down all the law and order, brothers. Uh, I've been a survivor all my life, and tonight will be no different. And when this thing's all said and done, and it's all over, Bobby Heenan, we're going to see if you can survive. How about it, Tugboat? You, you know it, boss man, because the old Tugboat is just like the Battleship Missouri, brother. He's loaded. He's ready for battle, brother. He's got the Hulkamaniacs box covered, and it's just like out in the wild. Only the strong survive. That's right. It's Turkey Day. It's Survivor Series. Everybody's all excited. The hair on the back of the neck standing up. The blood's pumping through the heart. And there's a reason these yellow ribbons are on the 2x4. Tell them about it, Hulkster. You know, that's right, tough guy. The first thing in our sights is we've got our focuses on winning the Survivor Series and proving that the Hulkamaniacs can't survive, brother. But the reason we're also here is we're dedicating this match to all the men and women all over the world who are all Hulkamaniacs, man, serving and fighting for our country. But especially the men and the women over there in the Middle East right now, brother, that are hanging on and fighting for all of us, brother. And as far as I'm concerned, President Bush, as soon as the Survivor Series is over and me and my Hulkamaniacs prove that we are really survivors, if you need an extra little heavy artillery or if you need any kind of help, brother, we volunteer yeah, our services, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, Saddam Hussein, what you gonna do when my team of survivors runs wild on you? All right, back to you, Gorilla. The natural disasters, not to be confused with the future tag team of that name, are out to take on the Hulkamaniacs. Earthquake with Dino Bravo and Jimmy Hart. They're joined by Haku, who's out with the Barbarians, so we get the faces of fear with um, Dino and Earthquake here. They're going to take on the Hulkamaniacs, who all get their entrances. So the Warriors got their entrances, and so did the Hulkamaniacs. Tugboat who in storyline was responsible for bringing Hulk back from where he wanted to walk away after the warrior loss. But a giant man, Fred Ottman, said, no, Hulkster, come back. <laughs> and uh, Hulk did. So thanks. So the Shockmaster himself, Tugboat, is first. Then Jim Duggan, who has yellow ribbons on his 2 by 4 for the troops, brother. Then Bossman... And then the Hulkster, of course. He has to be last. And Hulkster had a lot of hair. Jim Duggan starts with Haku. Haku misses a second rope cross and eats some clothesline. Duggan misses an elbow drop and Haku tags out. The heels take turns on Duggan as the crowd chant for USA. Bossman gets the tag for the faces. Comes in, delivers some uppercuts to Haku before Haku stops him with a drop kick. A really bad-looking Bossman slam to Haku, but it's good enough for the 1-2-3, so Haku is eliminated. Barbarian eats a big boot before Heenan distracts Bossman for a second. This allows Barbarian to suplex Bossman, slam him, miss a second rope elbow. Then Duggan and Earthquake come in for their teams. Duggan can't get Quake off his feet. 
Jimmy Hart low bridges Doug and out of the ring, and he gives chase to Jimmy Hart. For the first time in this podcast history, Patrick, Jim Duggan uses the 2x4 as a weapon. Thank goodness. It finally happened. He uses it against Earthquake, hits him once. No DQ. It's fine. But then he hits Earthquake a second time, and you've gone too far, pal. Ding, 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 DQ. Jim Duggan, the dirty heel, gets eliminated for America. Then Hogan comes in for the Hulkamaniacs. It's three on three. Hogan calls Hogan calls for a slam of Earthquake and does it with ease. So a big reaction. He just lifts him right up. No big deal. <laughs> no build up at all here. Hogan does corner punches to Earthquake, who stops him and power slams him. Bravo lands a couple elbows to Hogan before Hogan small packages him to eliminate him. So Dino Bravo's done. Bossman takes over on Quake. Bossman goes to the top rope but gets caught by Earthquake. Hogan pushes them over. Bossman gets a two count. Quake lands a couple massive elbows. And Bossman is gone. Just from two big Earthquake elbows, Bossman's eliminated. It's two on two. Hogan can't get Earthquake off his feet, even though he did it with ease earlier. He tries to slam him again, and he, oh, he is bad back, brother. Gives out. And Earthquake gets a near fall. Quake misses a splash to Hogan. Tugboat gets the tag and faces off against his future partner, the Earthquake. So Quake gets taken out of the ring by Hogan. Tugboat and Quake brawl to a countout, so the natural disasters eliminate themselves. Earthquake rams Hogan's back to the post, so now it's down to Hogan and Barbarian, brother, and I don't like your odds. Hulk eats a pile driver from Barbarian, which I was surprised he let Barbarian do for a near fall. They clothesline each other. Flying clothesline from Barbarian. Hulk up. Punch, punch. Punch. Big boot. Big leg. Barbarian is toast. So now Hogan and Warrior are in the sole survivor match, brother. And then Heenan gets roughed up after the match by Hogan. Hulk grabs a Hulk Rules banner from the crowd and then grandstands and hot dogs for ages. So there you go. What did you think of the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters? A standard Hogan match. Everybody gets their ass kicked and he takes all the uh, all the praise and glory. So <laughs> Gorilla plugs the rumble again. Mean Gene calls out the Macho King, Randy Savage, who I wish was wrestling on this show. And Savage wants the belt from Warrior. So, Patrick, they had a direction where they wanted to go for WrestleMania. Would they get there? We'll have to find out another day. Well, after I prove to everyone all around the world who is the best, then I may just retire Mean Gene Okerlund because I have more than proven that the Macho King is number one. Dig it? I... I I probably do, but I got the feeling that maybe 15 or 18,000 don't dig it. Oh, let me tell you something. When the time comes that my championship hands touch the Ultimate Warrior, you'll realize it. Oh, yeah. Nikolai Volkov, the Bushwhackers, and Tito Santana are out next. Mean Gene wants a word with Sergeant Slaughter and his team. Despicable. Shut that hole and listen up. And he rambles about sand and flags and Thanksgiving and how he hates America. Great. Thanks, Sergeant Slaughter. This is the second Survivor Series team where all the wrestlers are alive. Mr. Fuji is in, but Slaughter's team all alive in 2020. He's joined by the Orient Express and Boris Zukov. And blink and you would miss Boris Zukov because Tito immediately hits him with the flying forearm, the flying burrito. Jesse Ventura would call it the flying burrito, but 
It's a flying forearm. Tito eliminates Zukov, so no more Zukov, really, in this match. Sato and Tanaka work over Tito, and Tanaka accidentally super kicks Sato. The Bushwhackers pin him, so now it's just Tanaka and Slaughter against the faces. Tito takes out Tanaka with the flying burrito, and Slaughter is all alone, so now it's one It's one on four, actually. It's Sergeant Slaughter versus all the faces. Volkov lands some boots to Slaughter before Slaughter stops him, drops a few elbows on him. The match crawls to a halt because Volkov cannot sell or fight. He sucks, sorry. Rest in peace, man, but he just not, he's not very good. Finally, Sergeant mercifully pins him after an elbow. The Bushwhackers double slam Sarge and clothesline him for a two count. Gut buster to Luke. One, two, three. He's gone. Butch is left, gets pinned by a clothesline from Sergeant Slaughter. One, two, three. He's gone. But then Tito surprises the Sarge. He hits a flying forearm for two off the buckle. Tito hops on Sergeant Slaughter in the corner like he's going to do punches. I guess he thought Sergeant was supposed to uh, shove him off. But so Tito just bumps for no reason. So it looks really bad. Slaughter does a neck breaker for a two count. Sarge chucks Tito into the ref. Flying forearm to Slaughter. But Sheik hits Tito with the flag. Or Colonel Adnan, as you may call him. Camel clutch to Tito, but the ref calls it off. And he DQs Slaughter over the flag attack, I guess. I don't. We didn't get an explanation. But... It's Survivor Series. You really don't need one. And Patrick, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Tito Santana is going to be on their team in the Soul Survivor match. Yep. Some someone does not belong. Can you figure out who? <laughs> um, Hogan. Yeah. What did you think of this match, my friend? I didn't really have any expectations for it. It was just a standard match you know I, I didn't really nothing stood out to me to make it mean like it was something amazing you know no and looking back on it i can't believe that their wrestlemania main eventer is in this match like yeah. it's not a good showing for him at all i mean obviously they had different plans but even if they had different plans you still want to keep sergeant slaughter sort of you know protected i think but they just totally didn't here and I thought he looked like a goof. I think you can't, even by DQ, you can't lose to Tito Santana in 1990. Sorry. I just. And then headline WrestleMania. That's just crazy to me. Whatever. Mooney is with the Visionaries and DiBiase. So all the Visionaries and DiBiase are on a team. Take So it's five on three. So I really kind of wish they had maybe worked this out in you know, paired some people differently. So it could have been four on four and Brett could have been part of the faces. Um, but whatever, I'm sure Hogan was like, no, no way, brother. So the visionaries and Ted DiBiase, Rick Martel and DiBiase do the mic work. It's okay. I think Rick Martel, he had that French accent from Quebec. If he didn't have that accent, I think he would have been a main eventer. I really do think that Rick Martel was, and we talked about him earlier, earlier this year when he, we reviewed that, um, Sold well, it was Super Brawl, I think. We reviewed his one pay per view match from his WCW run, and that dude was good. This dude was good. He had a lot of charisma, he had a look, but I think something about that French Canadian accent, they were just never gonna put him as a top guy. On Saturday, Patrick, forget this pay per view that you spent $50 on. You really want to watch free TV because Ted DiBiase is gonna take on the Warrior in a title match. So 
Saturday night's main event has a better card than this card, arguably. Yes. Um, mean Gene is with the egg. And here is the segment. You can listen for yourselves. We all know what happens. But just in case you didn't know what happens, here's what happens. Uh, the gobbledy gooker debuts taboos and silence as Hector Guerrero in a turkey suit gobbles his way under Mean Gene's joke book. I think that egg is ready to blow! Oh! Oh, there it is! What is it? What in a world? I love Oh my it. God! What? What in the world is this? I don't know what it Take is. Take a look Rod. at it, ladies and gentlemen. I know. You're looking Feathers. at me like I know what I don't know what I, it is. I like a beak. A little rooster tail up on top. I don't know. They got a pair of legs like my mother-in-law, pal. <laughs> look at the feet on this thing. I can't believe what in God's name is this? Holy. What? Uh, uh, give what what is with the gobbledy? The gobbledy gook. Don't tell me you're the gobbledy gooker. You've got to be kidding me. Is that all you do is gobble? Well, on Thanksgiving, what would you expect? And then Patrick. They the real main event of this night, Mean Gene and the Gooker dance to Turkey in the Straw in the middle of the ring. Patrick, what were they thinking here? Can you explain this? No, I can't. I can't. It's one thing to debut a wrestler cold like The Undertaker. It's another to debut a mascot cold. Because in what way would this work? And also, I find it funny that they had to put a wrestler in it. Like Hector Guerrero was somehow in this suit. He couldn't have just been a camera guy. You had the debut tonight of Hector Guerrero and Undertaker. This is a Vince idea. Like this, anything that doesn't work in WWF, I'm always going to just assume that it was only Vince's idea. And he thought it was awesome. So Sean Mooney is with Hulk Hogan, Warrior, and Tito Santana. And I was like, there's no way that Tito gets to talk here. But he does. I couldn't believe it. Hogan says, me and the Ariba man, oh, geez, have been around since day one. Not true. And we're going to survive this thing. Okay. Tito says we're going to survive. And then Warrior has no idea about camera blocking and just totally blocks Tito out of the camera shot and does his promo and says, with the power of Hulkamania, the Warriors, and Ariva Durchi. <laughs> so I guess he thought Ariba and Ariva Durchi are the same thing. but Same thing. Hogan, it's the last word, of course, because every Hogan promo, Hogan's got to get the last word. Well, you know something, little dude? We're not too worried about the odds being stacked against us. You know, the way I count this thing, brother, is those five over there are against the Warrior, my man Tito Santana, the Stark Raven Hulkster, and millions of millions of those little Hulkamaniacs out there, brother. You know, this is what it's all about, brother. I've been around the WWF for quite some time now, and the Hulkster has always ruled, but never before have I seen such an 
intensity in a man like the Ultimate Warrior, brother, to rise to the top so fast, to take it all away, and to have so many little, little warriors following him, brother. And as far as Tito Santana goes, brother, me and the Ariba man have been around since day one. And as far as I'm concerned, me, Tito, the Ultimate Warrior, we're going to survive this thing, brother. This is what it's all about, baby, the grand finale. Million Dollar Man, the visionaries, you turkeys, the odds are not against us, baby. We are here for one reason, to survive, baby, the grand finale. Yeah. We have taken this many footsteps to get this far. The Hulkamaniacs that made the sacrifice, and the warriors that followed me that fell, like skeletons that made their sacrifices. They walk with us into this battle. And we take all those that believe in one purpose to do combat with those that believe they are the greatest. You power and glory. A reminder that we feed off such things. And you, Rick the Model Martel, no competition to the powers that we possess in Hulkamania and Warrior Wildness and Ariva Dante. You know the way I feel about it, dudes. This is the 11th hour, brother, and we're walking that fine razor's edge between greatness or disaster. And the way things stack up with all those Hulkamaniacs, with everything running wild out there, brother, there's no way they're going to beat us. The energy, the focus, the mind, the body, and soul. What's you going to do when our team survives and wipes out you dudes out there? This is it, the grand finale match of survival. Let's go back to the ring. The visionaries come out and are joined by Ted DiBiase. Hogan is out first for his team. So weird that somehow Tito got to come out after Hogan. And then the Ultimate Warrior comes out. Roddy Piper says, I don't care who wins this. Thanks, Roddy. I'm really interested now. Tito hits the flying forearm to Warlord and eliminates him right off the bat. DiBiase gets a near fall on Tito off a suplex. Tito misses the forearm to Ted. Stun gun to Tito. Ted covers him with a handful of hair. And eliminates him. So Tito, surprise, surprise, is the first face gone. Would there be more faces eliminated? Doubtful. Hogan is in with DiBiase, who tags Hercules in. Roma hits a forearm off the top turnbuckle to Hogan for a two count. Martel comes in, gets a few shots in on the Huckster. The heels get the heat on Hogan for a while in the corner. Uh, Hogan kicks out of the powerplex. He clotheslines and pins Roma. Warrior gets the hot tag. Goes in after Martel, scoop slams him a few times, tags Hogan in, big boot. Hogan just clotheslines him out of the ring. And then Martel, he's the smartest heel of the bunch. He just says, fuck this. If I'm going to lose, I'm just going to leave and get counted out. So Rig Martel, who was chased with a snake earlier, I guess Jake just got tired and said, uh, okay, forget about this. Funny. It was just, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going, I'm going to the bar, boys. Yeah. Fuck this place. Um, so it's weird that, you know, in modern WWE, Jake would definitely have run back out with the snake, but, uh, DiBiase stays in with Hogan, big boot, big leg, DiBiase is eliminated, warrior tags in, hits his finish to Hercules, Hogan comes in and counts with the ref, one, two, three, and the sole survivor is two, because these men's egos could not allow them to, one of them to lose, so Hogan, the people's champ, and Warrior, the actual champ, grandstand and hot dog for the crowd as they have survived the Survivor Series. So what do you have to say about this final match? I think it was just a standard 90s Survivor Series uh, that involved Hogan and Warrior. Yep, uh, two of the worst workers against uh, DiBiase, who's pretty good, Martel, who's pretty good, and then Power and Glory 
they're okay, I guess. This was before Hercules. He aged horribly in the next couple of years. So let me tell you this. As a let me tell you this. Let me tell you something, Main Gene. As a kid, I I enjoyed this main event because it was my favorites basically. Because I didn't. As a, now that I'm a jaded old man wrestling fan, I do not like Hogan and Warrior that much. But as a kid, I loved these guys. Uh, I thought I thought Warrior was the greatest thing ever because maybe because I hadn't seen Sting. Because I probably would have thought Sting was cooler. Because Warrior's hair, I'm not really hip on the mullet. Um, but I love the face paint. That's probably why I liked the the Road Warriors as well. And I liked all the combinations of these guys. Because there's a lot of stars here. There's Well, that I'll get into that in my final thoughts. But this main event match, it's kind of a cop-out having Hogan and Warrior both advance. Like... When it was just the two of them, they should have said, okay, now it's a one-on-one match. That would have been really awesome. But, you know, we had to spend 15 minutes on the gobbledy gooker, so no time for that shit. I'm going to give it an Undertaker. What about you? Oh, on this rating scale, I am going to give it a Kane. How about that? Um, Even though Kane's not on on the pay-per-view, but... Like I said, if I was still a kid and not a jaded old man wrestling fan, I would I would love this. It highlights, oh, look at all the tag teams. Look at all look at all the tag teams they have. There's more tag teams in this pay-per-view than in all of WWE today with like 300 performers. That's fucking crazy to me. You had the Bushwhackers, Power and Glory, uh, Rhythm and Blues, the Heart Foundation, the Rockers, Demolition, LOD, like... Jeez, man, so many great tag teams. And yeah, so I just and all these superstars, like all these Hall of Famers, like this, this is a lot of star power. So I think it's one of the best pure Survivor Series pay-per-views before they started adding in title matches or whatever else they wanted to add in. But Patrick, that was my pick. And we've we've been rambling on now for nearly three hours. So I hopefully I've cut it down some. But I think with all the clips that I've got to include, it's not much but where will we be going the next time we get together whenever that may be oh by the way happy birthday patrick because i have a feeling we'll record again after your next birthday so um we are going to take a trip into the future see this was 1990 at 1991 the undertaker won his very first wwe title a rematch a rematch where he wants to gain that title back from the Hulkster. It took 11 years to come around, but he is finally going to get that rematch. We are going to go to May 19th, 2002, Judgment Day. Nashville, Tennessee will have Edge versus Kurt Angle in a hair versus hair match. We'll have Triple H versus Chris Jericho in a Hell in a Cell match, and it will all be culminated in an 11-year return match with Hollywood Hulk Hogan defending the undisputed title against The Undertaker. Wow. Yeah, I forgot that match happened on the same card that Kurt Angle lost his hair. That feels really strange. That's a really strange, like, two events, like... Like a Hogan-Undertaker match past the year 2000 and the same card where Angle lost his hair. That's really just a strange pair. And um, a 
like Hell in a Cell with Jericho and Triple H that nobody really talks much about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, there's a lot on there. Um, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. So, um, yeah, Judgment Day 2002. We'll go there the next time. I'm, I won't say next week anymore because 2020 is not a next week kind of year um but thank you for listening to us you can find us online at retrowrestlingpodcast.com and on uh, twitter at retro w podcast where can they find you patrick patrick young or patrick young wrestling on facebook ref patrick young at twitter and uh, i'm always available to answer any and all questions all right patrick well that'll do it for this week i'm intern alex I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango.